Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. Hope you've had a blessed week. Uh, let me encourage you, if you're there online with us, uh, there are multiple platforms you can watch us on. Uh, you can watch us on Facebook or Twitter at HBC Tullahoma. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma. Uh, be sure to like, to heart, to subscribe, uh, to give us a thumbs up there, share it uh, with others so that uh, they'll know also. And then we have our phone live streaming uh, that you can call our church office at 931-455-0645. We'll be able to give you that number. If you're here in person and would like that number, see me after the the service and I'll be glad to give that to you. While you're there at home, uh, go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there, just a few tabs over. You can download our worship bulletin there. If you don't have one of those here in person, there are some in the windowsills as well as at the back. You can feel free to get one at any time. Uh, the children's worship bulletins are over here to my right. If you're there online, it's under that same info tab that you can get the worship bulletin and the children's worship bulletins as well as this week's current prayer list. So be sure to download those, uh, share those with others, and let others know uh, about that. But we're glad to have everybody that's here uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to begin our service this morning with our Lord's Supper. So we're going to ask if our deacons will go ahead and make your way and come on in uh, and meet me down here at the front, and we'll begin. tells us in the book of Corinthians when he wrote, to the letter, wrote the letter to the church at Corinth, uh, he reminded them that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to do so in a manner that is worthy, uh, that we are going before the Lord with all humbleness in our hearts, confessing our sin before him, lest we partake of this supper uh, unworthily. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer as we pray for our hearts, we pray for this supper, and then we'll pray for the elements in just a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessing that you have given us, Lord, for the privilege to be in a relationship with you. Lord, thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace. You did not have to uh, demonstrate that to us or show that to us. We didn't deserve anything that you have done for us. But we so much, Lord, appreciate all that you have done. And as we come this morning to partake of this Lord's Supper, remind us, Father, uh, of, the, of the body of Christ uh, that is broken for us uh, in the bread as well as uh, in the cup representing the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins. And so, Father, I pray that as we examine our own hearts, as we come before you, Lord, reveal to us by bringing out into the light of the truth of your word any sin that may be in our hearts, that we might confess it before you. And Father, we ask you to help us to be able to partake of this supper in a worthy manner, remembering the death of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
In Mark's gospel, it tells us that Jesus had gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And as they were eating, he took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Brother Bobby, would you bless the partaking of the bread or the cup? Sorry. Father, we do want to thank you for being able to be here today. Father, let us uh, take the bread realize what it represents is that you broke your body and your spirit just so that we could have a relationship with you. We thank you, Father, for all that you do for us, but most of all, Father, for forgiving us and making us a part of your family. And in your name, we give the honor and the praise to your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have not participated with us in this before in these cup manner, you just take the first seal, peel it off, and it will reveal the bread there. Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. And then also in the like manner, he took the cup and he blessed the cup and said, take, drink, this is my blood that was shed for you. Brother Ken, would you bless the partaking of the cup? Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. You can remove that that bottom seal, reveals your cup. He said, take this cup and drink in remembrance of me. The scriptures also tell us when they left the upper room uh, that evening... Uh, They went to the garden, and on their way to the garden, they sang a song. So we want to ask you, if you will, to stand with us, join hands, uh, and also to sing, Bless Be the Tithe.
you to take your hymnals this morning and uh, open to 456 uh, and sing, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, sing with the choir. Well, as we come to our time to remember our missionaries, we, uh, you'll see their story in your bulletins of Eric and Heather McDonald. Uh, they were actually medical professionals in Alabama, uh, and missions wasn't even on their mind uh, or their heart to start with, especially because they have seven children. Could you imagine that, Ben, on the mission field with seven children? <laughs> But what a blessing it is as, uh, as the Lord began to work in their heart uh, and called them to cross-cultural missions in Tanzania. Uh, they went there to serve as healthcare professionals at the Baptist Hospital, and God has given them many opportunities. The, the things they're doing and sharing the gospel, uh, life looks very different there in that culture, but God has, has shown them that different is not necessarily bad, it's just different. Uh, and God is using them in a tremendous way. So we want to uplift them. Uh, in our prayers this morning, as well as all of our missionaries uh, and our offering this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessing of those who have answered the call to missions. We pray for uh, this family, Lord. We pray for Eric and Heather McDonald and ask, Lord, that you would have your blessings upon them. Lord, we pray that you will continue to provide for their needs as they serve in the, the health care field there in Tanzania, uh, but also using that as a platform uh, to be able to share the gospel with others. Father, I pray that you'll open opportunities uh, that they may have never even had before and help them to be faithful. Give them boldness as they continue to share the gospel there. And be with all of our missionaries uh, as well as the McDonald's to keep them safe, place a hedge of protection about them, provide for their every need. And just continue, God, uh, to stir others' hearts uh, who missions may not even be on their heart or their mind right now, but you are wanting to use them 
in a great and mighty way uh, in the days ahead, maybe in the, the field that they already work in, but doing it uh, maybe in missions overseas or missions uh, here across North America or maybe just missions right here where we are. So, Father, lead us and guide us uh, to a closer walk with you. Bless this service this morning. Bless our offerings uh, as our offerings go to support these missionaries uh, every Sunday. A portion of that does each week. And we just ask, God, your blessings uh, upon us as we gather to worship with you this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, let me just remind those of you who are at home, you can go to our church website, highlandbaptistchurch.com, go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab there, and you can do your online giving. It's a very easy platform there uh, that's set up for you to do. In fact, this morning at the end of the service, normally we take a benevolence offering when we have the Lord's Supper uh, for, for our deacons ministry for that to help people in our community. Uh, but this Sunday, uh, because uh, the children's camp is coming up in just a couple of weeks and they've got to get their final money, uh, and we're going to be taking a special offering uh, for the children's camp. They'll share more about that at the very end. So just wanted to remind you about that. If you're at home and you want to do that, you can give online by designating towards that also. Uh, there's a designation there for children's ministry, and it'll go directly uh, towards that for the camp. So just want to make sure you, you take the opportunity to do that. You can do that in person even if you're there too. If you have an envelope and you want to do that, just write on it what it's for, even if you're splitting your offering up in some uh, fashion reform there. And then also don't forget, uh, if you have any of these baby bottles that we were collecting our change for the Pregnancy Support Center, I uh, want to encourage you to get those back to us, uh, preferably by the end of this week, uh, because we'll be delivering these, uh, whatever, we've already made one delivery, but any that have those still left, bring those uh, before the end of the week so we can be able to get those out. Brother Mike, you'll come and lead us. When we're looking for songs that could possibly go with the sermon, uh, a lot of times I have preconceived notions in my head of what a song sounds like. Uh, this is one of those songs. It didn't, it's not, the, the actual music is not what I think in my head when I see the title, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus. So if you don't have the book, you may have to listen to us a little bit before we, you get into singing this and listen to the rhythm. It's a little different. Um, but join the choir as we sing, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus. Yeah. 
looking at the notes, trying to sing the notes, and looking at the words, I fail to see the words a lot of times, so you're liable to hear just about anything out of me. Anyway, next song we'd like to sing and like for you to join with us as we stand and sing Love Lifted Me, 546. Love Lifted Me. Miss Pat? There's never been a moment 
you were forgotten, you are not hopeless. Though you've been broken, your innocence stolen. I hear you whisper underneath your no distance that cannot be covered over and over you're not defenseless I'll be your shelter I'll be your armor I hear you whisper underneath your take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We were in Matthew's Gospel last week, and we are there again today as we're continuing our walk through the life of Jesus. We're going to begin in verse 22 and verse 23, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 and verse 23. And let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat 
and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning for this passage and this message that you have for us out of these verses to apply to our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray that you would receive all the glory and all the honor as we come before you reading humbly your word, asking you, Lord, to speak your truth into our hearts. Father, I pray this morning that if we find ourselves at a crossroads where we, we say we believe, but doubts have come up, crisis has come into our lives. Lord, whatever it may be that has caused us to stray away from the belief in you and your word and your truth, Lord, remind us, Lord, that that is where our focus must be if we are to make it through this life. So lead us through your truth this morning. Give us the application that we can apply to our hearts and our lives. And may you receive all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. When we come to this section in Matthew chapter 14 here, we find that the disciples are caught in another violent storm. Uh, it, it's, it's a different one than the one that was mentioned back in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23 through verse 27 where Jesus was asleep in the boat and they shake Jesus to wake him up. This is a different occasion. And, and while there wasn't anybody there to come to rescue them, they found out that their master never lets one of his children drown. At one moment, Peter's walking on the water, as we're going to see in this story, and the next, he's sinking in the storm. And you're going to find that just before Peter goes under, Matthew tells us that Jesus puts out his hand and catches him up, caught him up, and his touch rescued Peter from the storm. We're reminded in this passage of Scripture that, that Jesus is always ready to rescue us when we're about to go under. His hand will always catch us when we're sinking in the seas of life. And it was as if Peter, uh, when we're reading this and we get to the point here to hear about Peter stepping out when he hears that it's Jesus, it's as if Peter is saying, I believe I believe it's you, Jesus. I'm keeping my focus on you. But the moment he gets his focus off of Jesus, it's I believe, but. And he begins to sink in the sea. Sometimes we find ourselves saying we believe what the Bible says about X, Y, Z, whatever it is. But then we come back and say, but what about this? And so often we're putting our focus on the world. We're putting our focus on the circumstances that are around us. We're putting our focus on ourselves rather than on the one we should be putting our focus on, on God. What we're doing in that time when we say, I believe, but we're saying, God, I believe you about this, but I don't believe you about that. Uh, 
And so we find in these verses that Jesus has begun to move on from those who wouldn't believe to those who did believe. If you remember when we uh, began last week in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And right after that comes Jesus walking on the water. So he's been doing miracle after miracle. He's heard the bad news in the beginning of chapter 14 about the death of John the Baptist who was beheaded. Headed uh, by Herod, and now uh, Jesus has fed these 5,000. He's expended a lot of energy. He's healed people. The Bible says he healed people uh, the rest of the day, and he's exhausted. And we find that in verse 22, he makes the disciples get in this boat and to go out into the water to go before him to the other side. While he dismisses the crowd. I want you to see first here this morning the pattern for faith. The pattern for faith. Jesus is told here in this first verse, he has to make or or constrain his disciples to leave and to go to the other shore. In fact, what we read in some of the other gospels is that they were arguing against going. Now, there were several reasons why Jesus had to make them, why he had to constrain them uh, to, to go to the other side and why it was even necessary. One of the reasons is, is that right after Jesus had fed the crowd, uh, we find that they wanted to uh, take him by force and make him their physical king uh, to rule over them. Uh, The gospel of John tells us this in John chapter 6 and verse 15. It says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so understand, Jesus, he understood the popular view of the Messiahship. The popular view of that day was that the Messiah was going to come and to lead Israel in a revolt against the Roman Empire. Uh, and free them and establish his kingdom on this earth. And, and everybody was, had that thought process. And the disciples, when everybody gets excited, I mean, surely what they've just seen in this miracle, 5,000 people have been fed plus, which we talked about last week, is probably twenty to 25,000 people. And then we read that there were 12 basketfuls of fragments that were left over. And everybody's, they're not scratching their head anymore wondering if this is the Messiah. They're thinking he's the Messiah and we're going to make him our king. And the disciples, they get caught up in all that excitement. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in that same type of place where we get caught up in the excitement of things that are going on in the world. And so notice that Jesus has to send his disciples across the lake and to disperse the crowd to prevent this from happening, this immediate uprising. And so Jesus knew that if they were having to to strain against a storm out on the sea, if they were having to fight for survival, They weren't going to be thinking about making him king anymore. They were just going to be thinking about, we got to live. We've got to survive. And his calming the storm would also prove that he was the Messiah and again show that he was in control of everything. So that's one of the reasons he makes them, constrains them to go out ahead of him in this boat. Secondly, it was time for Jesus to move on. Others needed his ministry. 
And he wanted the disciples to make use of what little daylight there was in crossing the lake. And then also, and this is so important to see, Jesus, he was exhausted and he just needed some time to pray. You know, so often that's one of the things we neglect in our lives is getting apart to pray before we come apart. And so Jesus needed to get along for prayer. And then also he wanted the disciples to learn some valuable lessons that would prove invaluable in their ministry to the world. So get the picture of what's happened here. The crowd has been miraculously fed. They're extremely excited because Jesus surely has to be the Messiah. He could always feed them and meet their needs no matter what their needs were. And they wanted to take him by force and make him king. The authorities, they would never allow a revolt. They would crush the people. But the people weren't thinking, and they wanted to act whether it was wise or not. Their hope was in the wrong place. Their hope was in an an earthly deliverance when in fact what Jesus came to do was to bring an an earthly, an eternal, uh, heavenly deliverance. Think about it. Fleshly emotions were running wild. Selfish desires were dominating. Rational thinking was out the window. Spiritual insight was completely absent. And and Jesus, he could not let the disciples get caught up in that excitement and the worldly desires of the crowd. What Jesus knew is his Father's will had to be done. And his will was the cross, an eternal kingdom, not a worldly kingdom that gives us uh, the, the short lifespan that we have here on this earth. But also notice this event follows a mountaintop experience. Often a valley follows mountaintop experiences. You know, you've had those times in your life where you feel like, man, I'm just up here on the mountaintop spiritually. I'm so excited where I'm at with the Lord. And then life happens and crisis comes. Someone put it this way. Remember that the depth of the wave is equal to the height of the wave that goes before it. You ever thought about that when you're, when you're out at the ocean and you see those waves uh, coming in? Uh, that the, the depth of the wave is equal to the height of the wave. And so when we have great mountaintop experiences, understand this, we are more vulnerable than we ever knew. When we have those kind of experiences, that's when we need to get on our knees in prayer more than ever before. And so when a crowd of people are excited, most of the time we want to go along with the crowd of emotional excitement, whether it's right or not. And we're not thinking. And we've seen that happen over the last several years, in fact, within the church. The disciples notice here, they go ahead and they do what the crowd does without thinking. They act in their own flesh, in their own strength, without even thinking about what does God want. That was the danger with the disciples, and it's often the danger that's confronting us. And the answer, of course, is what Jesus did with the disciples. Getting away from the crowd, 
getting away from the worldly carnal motives and excitement to get along with the Father and to say, God, what do you want? How do you want me to respond to this situation? How do you want me to handle this situation in my life? And and we have to be surrendered to walk in God's will and God's way, not in the will and the way of the world. And, And then notice also here that prayer after service is always wise. I mean, here had been Jesus who had fed the 5,000. Now remember, Jesus gave the, the bread and the fish to the disciples. And so the disciples had gone out and, and spread the food to, to everybody. And, and God just began to multiply it to where those 20, 25,000 people were fed. So the disciples, they're tired also. You know, when you're tired, you're sometimes at your weakest also. That's why we need to make sure we get good rest so we can be spiritually prepared. And and so many times after service like that is especially a time when we need to pray. Jesus had been teaching the crowd. He had been ministering to them. The crowds were huge. They couldn't be in the cities anymore. They're out in the countryside. It's ranging in the thousands. They were literally running and demanding to get to him. They were pressing in on him. He had the recognition. He had the esteem. He had the praise and the honor of the crowd. He had the excitement and the motivation of the crowd. They were motivated enough to say, we're going to make you our king. Their hope had been in the wrong place. Their hope had been in earth rather than on heaven. But notice what Jesus does. He dismisses the people. He sends them away. Why? So he can get alone to pray. If Jesus the very Son of God needed to get alone to pray. How much more us? He had to get alone with God the Father. The word for prayer here is a descriptive word. It means to pray fervently. Now, you can pray any time. And I'm sure as Jesus had, had taken those loaves and fishes, we're told in the Scripture, he prayed, he blessed it. But he needed some focus time. He needed some fervent praying to pour out his whole heart, totally being out to God, sold out to God. And, and Jesus was totally dependent on God, not on the crowds. The crowds couldn't give him anything, but God could give him everything. He was exhausted. He needed the Father's presence. He needed rest. He was tempted. He needed God's strength. He needed his deliverance. He was drained spiritually. He needed to worship the Father and to be renewed. He needed he needed that time with God the Father we need that time with God the Father I want you to see also the proofs of the faith the proofs of faith especially in the face of fear when you go back to verse 22 again Let's read again. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. 
Now, the first picture of hope and, and faith in this chapter comes in the previous verses in the feeding of the 5,000, and we see faith in the face of need. That's what we talked about last week. But in this second picture of faith, we see faith in the face of fear. Jesus gives us some truths that will help us that no matter what times we're going through, uh, particularly though in difficult times, these truths can help us uh, to, w- when we feel like all hope is lost, all faith is lost. Even if you're not facing difficult trials right now, know this, they're just around the corner for you. You know, sometimes those circumstances come when your life is tossed back and forth across the waves of this world. And and we need to find those truths and know those truths before we ever get into the midst of the storm. So here's one of the first things that can help you when you're in the midst of the storm. First, understand this. Jesus is sovereign over us. Jesus is the one who sent the disciples off in the boat. It wasn't their idea. Jesus is the one who said, I want you to get out in this boat. He didn't just say, would you do that? He constrains them. He makes them get in the boat. Now, it's probably somewhere around 7 to 9 o'clock at night. Later, the text tells us that Jesus comes to them on the sea in the fourth watch of the night, which is somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. So what that means is, is that these disciples were in this boat by themselves for at least six hours, if not more, while Jesus is somewhere over there on the mountainside. During that time that Jesus is on the mountainside, they're out in the boat on the, on the sea there, this storm arises. And it's not the first time they've gotten caught in a storm. They know what can happen. But now Jesus isn't in the boat with them. Remember last time he was. And so while these disciples are, are battling the wind, Jesus is, is uplifting the disciples and the wind in his hands, in his prayers. In verse 22, it says that Jesus sent his disciples away into the boat, and they did what Jesus said. They had obeyed what Jesus told them to do. Did you know sometimes when you are living right before the Lord, you're doing everything he tells you to do, the storm still comes. Trials and chaos still come. Here were these disciples. They did what Jesus said. They obeyed him. What should have been an uneventful journey turns into this perilous struggle for the disciples. Uh, Look, if you will, as you go on down to verse 24. Verse 24 says, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. So there wasn't any turning back to get back to where they came from is what it's basically saying. They were a long way from the land. And it was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, in Mark's gospel, he adds that the disciples were toiling in rowing. The idea was is that these men, these grown men, these men, many of them who had been fishermen themselves, they were struggling and battling against this storm. Matthew tells us that they that seeing their struggle, notice what happens as you continue on. Verse 25 says, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Notice he came to them 
when the storm wouldn't let them come to him. Our journey through life is anything but eventful, uneventful. There are times when the winds of life are contrary, and even though you feel like you're rowing and you're rowing, it seems like I'm just not getting anywhere. What we learn here is, is that when we're battling the storm, Jesus comes to our aid. In fact, the Bible tells us he's a very present help in a time of trouble. And we need to remember these truths as we walk through those difficult circumstances that Jesus isn't unaware of what we're going through. He knows exactly what you're facing. He understands our weaknesses. He, he knows uh, what, what's going on. And he is working for your good in everything he's doing. Jesus is sovereign over our lives and our trials. The second way to have hope in the face of fear is to realize that Jesus is interceding for us. That's what you see there again in verse 23 and verse 24. While the disciples are being tossed about in the middle of the sea, there's Jesus on the mountainside. He's on his knees in prayer. And one of the things we can learn from this story is that you can look at your trials differently when you know that the very Son of God is right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for you in whatever you're going through. He's ready to give you the strength. He's ready to help you through with the power of the Holy Spirit at the very moment that you need it. And so when, when we see in these verses here, Jesus on the mountaintop praying and the disciples in the sea struggling, we're reminded of a wonderful truth that the writer of Hebrews tells us about Jesus, who is our great high priest. He always lives to make intercession for us. So as we face the battles of life, one thing you can always rest assured in is that Jesus is lifting you up, interceding for you on your behalf. We're on his prayer list. He's interceding for you continually. When we face the storms, what's he doing? He's facing the Father, and he's interceding on our behalf. What an assurance that is to know that Jesus prays for us. And so when you're battling the troubles of life, you can rest assured if nobody else is praying for you, he is. What an assurance that is. You're not alone. Which leads us to the third truth. Jesus is present with us. Notice again verse 25 and verse 26. So in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. So here they are, they're struggling, rowing on the sea. They're trying to get to the other side. They're being overwhelmed by the storm, and fear is beginning to overwhelm them. And when fear overwhelms them, Jesus comes to where they are. Jesus came out to the disciples walking on the water. I don't know about you, but if I see something in the middle of the night, I mean, think about this, this is somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black dark. Maybe the moon is just barely shining or there's some light from the stars that they could be able to see. But they see this, this image that's coming across the water and they begin to think, oh my goodness, this is a ghost. And Jesus responds by saying in verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. The language that Jesus uses 
directly uh, echoes, if you will, God's revelation of himself to Moses when God himself said to Moses, I am. Understand this, Jesus not only stills the storms, but he also uses the storms as a pathway for us to a greater revelation of himself. According to the Bible, there's no question that God allows trials into our lives at various points so that he can reveal his character and his nature to us in ways that we never would have experienced before. And it's in the middle of the storm that the presence of Jesus becomes all that more real. We learn that he's with us. So we don't have any reason to fear. And then we see that in faith you can face fear confidently because Jesus is strength in us. He is strength in us. Look at verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, Jesus has already said, it's me. What more did Peter need? Sometimes we feel like, Lord, if you'll do this, then I'll believe. This was Peter. Peter, he, he, he hears what Jesus says, and he says, I just don't know. I believe, but. I believe you said it's you, but if it is you, would you command me to come to you on the water? What a comfort it is to know that when we face trials, you may not have the strength, but Jesus does. And as you place your hope and you place your faith and you place your trust in him, you can experience his strength in you. Now, think about Peter. We may criticize Peter, but, but his request wasn't without its reward. Notice what it says in verse 29. He said, come. So Jesus obliges him in the question that he asked. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, hey, come on. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. You know, so often in this story, we focus on Peter sinking in the water, but he's the only one of the disciples who got out and walked on the water. That's an amazing thing there to start with. He risked everything. What a comfort it is to know that when you don't have the strength, Jesus does. When Peter began to sink, uh, notice what happens here. Continue on. It says in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. It tells us there in verse 29 that Peter walked out on the water. But think about this. James and John, they couldn't say that, that they walked on the water. Andrew and Thomas, they never walked on the water. No, only Peter, the one with the passion to step out, was given the privilege of doing what only the Lord could do. You've heard the old cliche, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Well, Peter might put it this way, if you want to walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you never step out of your comfort zone, if you never risk something in order to go to Jesus, you'll never know the joy of experiencing the miraculous. Peter steps out, and man, he's doing something incredible. He would be able to tell generations beyond what happened and the excitement he felt as he walked out on that water. 
But he didn't get very far before he soon began to sink. But just in those few steps, Peter was doing the impossible. Peter was walking on the water. Here's something we need to learn. Don't be satisfied to live in the boat. We may fail, but I'd rather fail trying than to never know what it's like to walk on the water with Jesus. God gives us a bold, passionate faith because that's the only kind of faith that ever experiences the miraculous power of God. But then notice what happened. Uh, Peter, he begins to sink as he gets his focus off of Jesus. When we lose sight of Jesus and we begin to focus on the circumstances around us and the danger around us, you will begin to sink and you'll feel like you're overwhelmed by the troubles and trials of this life. But when we place our faith, our focus in Jesus, you begin to rise above the storm. With fear, we sink into the storm. The truth is when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we begin to think, I believe, but the waves are just too high. The water is just too deep. The wind is just too strong and the night is too dark. Lord, this circumstance, this trial, this tribulation I'm facing, it's just too big. You know what you just did? You just limited your God to say, God, you're not as big as my problem. I want to tell you this morning, God is bigger than any problem you'll ever face. He's already solved the greatest problem you ever had, that of your sin debt. The truth is when we take our eyes off of him, we begin to focus on those things. Peter became consumed with fear and he reminds us that unless we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, you will become a victim of fear. When he stepped out of the boat, he saw that wind. He began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Again, Peter had the wherewithal to know the person he needed to cry out to. He doesn't call to the guys back in the boat and say, Guys, help me. Help me get out of the water here. I'm sinking. No, he calls out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Notice verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter wanted more than just the status quo. What I especially love here about Peter's passion in this text is that he wanted to be with Jesus. And if that meant getting out of the boat, getting onto the water, so be it. It raises a good question for us. Where are you willing to go? What are you willing to do to be with Jesus? There are times when walking with him is anything but the safe option. There are times when following Jesus means that you will have to leave the confines of your safe, comfortable life in your little boat. It takes passion to leave the boat and to go, on, go to Jesus on the water. It takes faith to risk everything in order to follow the Lord. Are you willing to risk it all to follow Jesus? When we risk it all for Jesus... The world may think you're foolish, but in God's eyes, our life will be bold 
and will be blessed. And when we place our hope in Jesus, it produces faith, and faith produces hope. Romans 5 verse 3 says, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. But look out, look back to verse 31 and the second half there. Jesus reached out his hand and he had taken hold of him. But notice what he says to him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? If we're not careful, we hear Jesus say, we, and we hear his criticism of little faith here and miss the point of the story. We begin to think that somehow we need to work up more faith. And that if we do, the result will be healing or some other immediate benefit. But that's not the point of what Jesus was saying. That kind of thinking skews faith because it makes faith entirely dependent on what you can do. Scripture, however, gives us a different guideline for understanding faith, that what matters most is not the measure of your faith. Even when Jesus referred to Peter's faith as little in verse 31, he wasn't primarily referring to faith as something subjective that we have to create. Instead, what matters most is always the object of your faith. Is the object of your faith yourself? Is the object of your faith the disciples back in the boat? Or is the object of your faith Jesus who's walking on the water? What is it that you placed your hope in? You see, Peter's faith was little because he took his eyes off Jesus that was the object of his faith. And that's what caused him to sink. The point is clear for us that your faith is strong only when the object of your faith is strong. As long as your faith is in the circumstances uh, or as long as your faith is focused on anyone or anything apart from Jesus, then it won't matter how much faith you have. You'll fall sooner or later. You'll be saying, I believe, but. On the other hand, when your eyes are on Jesus, who is the all-sovereign, all-gracious, all-loving, merciful Savior, the King of creation, you can always rest Secure Your faith will be constant. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice, instead of trying to be stronger, trust in Jesus' strength. When you're weak, he's strong. And the truth that jumps out to us is not as much Peter's failure, but rather Peter's fear. The failure isn't the story. The failure is common. We all fail. The real story is the rescue. The great lesson here is that we can fail, but that when we fail, there is a Savior who is there to rescue us. When we lose sight of him, and often we do, the great truth is that when we cry out to him, he reaches out his hand to rescue us. The final reason we can have faith and hope in the midst of fear is that Jesus is peace around you. Notice verse 32. Verse 32 says, And when they, Peter and Jesus, got into the boat, just like that, the wind ceased. 
It's almost a, as, a, as a passing note at the end of the story when you read verse 32. He's the only one who's able to bring peace in the middle of the storm. Understand there is coming a day when he is going to bring total, complete peace to our hearts and lives. That ought to give us encouragement as we persevere through the trials and the, the temptations of this life. John says in John 6 verse 21, and immediately the boat was at the land even to which they were going. What it's telling us there is that they should have already trusted Jesus when he fed the 5,000. They should have already been trusting Jesus when they saw the miracles he was doing. They should have trusted Jesus when he turned that water into wine. They should have trusted Jesus when he raised the, the little girl that was dead. They should have been trusting Jesus all along. How could they so easily forget? And yet we do the same thing. Mark says in his gospel, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Understand that profession with our lips is easy, but living in complete trust to God is difficult. The disciples were like so many today. They had a spiritual experience after experience, but they were still focused on the here and the now. And their faith always seemed to need a boost. So what's the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of faith in the face of worship? Notice verse 33. Verse 33 says, and those in the boat. So remember the disciples have been in the boat. They've been watching this play out before them all along. Some were maybe thinking, Peter, you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Look what happened. They're missing the point. But those in the boat, when they see Jesus reach out his hand and lift him up out of the water, and they walk together across the water back and get into the boat, and it says that those in the boat, when he stepped into the boat and that wind ceased, those in the boat worshipped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What was the purpose of all this? Why didn't Jesus get in the boat to begin with like he had done in the previous story? Why did he wait so long up on that mountain praying? Why did he let the disciples struggle for so long? Why did he come walking to them on the water rather than just meeting them over on the other side? Why did Jesus let Peter begin to sink and, and then cry out to help before he reached out to save him? Why did Jesus wait to calm the storm when he stepped into the boat with Peter? He could have calmed it at any time he wanted to before that. The reason why is found in this last verse. After Jesus' miracle of walking on the water, the disciples in the boat respond to Jesus by worshiping him. We see the relationship here between faith and worship because once you truly recognize who Jesus is, you realize how he's to be worshiped. And the same principle holds true for us as well. We ought to fall at the feet of the one who saves the perishing and, and feast at the table with the one who satisfies the hungry. What we need to realize is we're never out of his sight and we're never more present with him than we are in the midst of the storm. Why did Jesus wait seven to nine hours before he went to them? To prove they couldn't do it. 
to prove their inadequacy. They needed to know, just like we need to know, that he was working even when they couldn't see it. He, he was praying, and then he came to, him, came to them, and they didn't go to him. Peter didn't reach out his hand to Jesus until Jesus reached out his hand to him. You remember that song we sang a while ago? Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, help me stand. I am tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. It goes on to say, when my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone. Hear my call, hear my cry, hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. It could be this morning that right now you're just like Peter. You're in the middle of the biggest storm you've ever faced in your life and you've lost sight of Jesus. You may be thinking, I believe, but the wind and the waves are just too big. And the trials of this life have distracted you. And if you're sinking, know that if you will call on him, he will not only touch you, he will catch you. His hand will lift you from the water and guide you safely home if you'll place your faith and your hope and your trust in him. Trust Jesus. He's praying for you right now. Why? Because he loves you. How do I know he loves you? Because he died on the cross for you and was resurrected from the grave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning, Lord, that if there are those who are here this morning who have never trusted by faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Lord, maybe they've been waiting on you to show some other work to them, some other miracle to them, before they would believe. Lord, help them to realize this morning there's nothing greater that you have to show them than what you've already done for them in sending Jesus to die on the cross for their sin, to free them from their sin. And Father, I pray this morning that they would believe, believe in their heart that Jesus died on that cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day, and that they would profess with their lips Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives, calling out to you in however words they want to put it, God, but to say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus as my Savior. I trust in him and what he did for me. I repent of my sin and I turn away to follow you, Jesus. Come into my life and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, if someone's prayed something like that, let them come this morning to publicly profess that faith. But Lord, there are many of us who are here as believers. We've said already in our heart, I believe you, Lord. I believe what you did for me. But would you show me this? Would you show me that? Because I'm just not sure. Father, help us to realize you've been there all along with us. Help us to realize that Jesus is always before your face interceding on our behalf. And Father, I pray that you will give us courage and boldness to step out of the boat, to keep our focus on you, to get out of the comfort zones of our life and begin to follow you like never before. Have your way and your will in our hearts and in our lives this morning. 
that maybe we need to come this morning to say, Lord, here I am. I want to serve in this church. I want to become a part of this church and this fellowship. Father, I pray that you'll lead people to become members of this church even this morning. Lord, whatever decisions need to be made, we give you the glory and the honor for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. Would you stand? seated for just a moment. You can come stand with me for just a moment. And this is Kimber Henry. She is coming this morning uh, to move her membership to our church and become a part of uh, our church here. Uh, are you excited for her decision this morning in doing this? 
Amen. You want to come and stand with her later as people come and give her the right hand of fellowship? Uh, we're just so glad for your decision this morning. We've talked with her over the last couple of weeks, several weeks, uh, and we're just so glad she's doing that this morning. Uh, and you pray for her in the days ahead, and you pray for us. Yes. All right, have a seat there, and we'll have you come back up in just a moment. I just wanted to say something about the prime timers going to Paula Dean's on this Tuesday, the 28th. Uh, it says in the bulletin we're going to meet here at the church at 11. I think we probably should meet here at 1030 because we never know how traffic is going to be. And that will give us probably two good hours. I think 1030 would be a better time, but we'll meet here at the church. And let me know if you can drive. That will be a good idea. And also, we have until... Uh, tomorrow to sign up but please let Amy know before lunch so that way she'll will know exactly how many's going and look forward to it oh and also I just wanted to say be sure that you know the 2199 does not include the beverage or the tax or the gratuity so just be prepared Saturday, July the 9th, coming up in two weeks, we will have a men's breakfast. Please come join us for a time of worship, Bible study, and prayer. I see all of our gentlemen there. That is Saturday, July the 9th. Thank you. Well, thank you all for your prayers this past week. Everybody made it back from camp safely. You've had a good time. And uh, next week we'll have a video to show you, and so be looking forward to that. I know I act like a big kid, but I am not going to Centrifuge this year. But if I could have all the kids that are going just come and stand out front here, by chance, maybe. Uh, I told Pastor Jim I wasn't going to talk, but um, all the kids got cold feet, so I get to talk. All right. So we've got a few others that aren't here. I know we've got uh, two Murrays and uh, Mr. Carson Parsons, uh, Pearsons that's going as well. But um, just to give you guys a little bit of, of information, so... Um, we've already had a pancake breakfast. We appreciate the support with that. We had a car wash. I think we washed 10 cars, 10 to 12 cars. Um, that turned out great as well. Um, this is the last little bit to get us over that hurdle to, to make sure that everybody gets to camp. Um, and this church has always been very supportive of its kids. Uh, uh, you can tell for all the ones that have returned uh, and raising their kids in this church. So we appreciate that. Um, just to give you a little bit of insight what Center Kid is, um, it's basically vacation Bible school on steroids. Um, they're going nonstop from 6 a.m. till about 11 p.m. Um, I don't know how they do it, but those, those counselors are wide open all day, always positive. Uh, I've never heard a negative word. Um, like I said, they get up at 6, they have breakfast at 7, um, they go straight into worship. Um, I think if we all started worship at 7 a.m., that we would all have a better day each and every day. Um, and then they go into their Bible studies. Uh, they leave their Bible studies. They have uh, a track. Uh, for those that don't know what a track is, it's a uh, special time where they can choose uh, a sport, or it could even be, uh, I think there's painting, uh, there's mission work that they can dive into. Um, and this year's uh, theme actually flows right in with Spark. It's, it's uh, called Wonder. So it's all about learning what their purpose is. And I think if we all would have started at a, young age that we would all be even further along in our spiritual walk. So um, after their first track, they have a lunch. 
and then go into their second track. Uh, and then after that, they'll have, they all get showers because most of the time it's hot. And then they go into supper and, and finish with worship. And then they finish with a quiet time with a counselor. Um, uh, these kids, you know, they, they break it down to a level where it's understood by all. Um, I know last year was Levi's first year, and he came back asking tons of questions. So if you don't think they don't understand or don't listen, they're listening, I promise you. Um, it, it's been a great thing to just see the growth in, in my two, uh, speaking for myself. But um, just to, to put a cap on it, um, we do appreciate everything that this church does uh, in supporting these kids. So uh, I'm going to have each one go stand with a, an usher to, to finish off, and then that way you guys can see a face to, to someone you're help sending to camp. Thank you. Yeah, just a reminder with that, the love offering for, uh, after the uh, Lord's Supper today is going to the Century Kid Camp, so uh, please keep that in your prayers. Um, just a couple of more announcements. Um, please keep Gil Williams, Amy Jackson, Laura Fultz, and um, Brother Jim's granddaughter Audrey in your prayers. They've got some injuries and things that have happened that they're healing through, um, so just uh, keep those in your prayers. And uh, please meet, if you're on buildings and grounds, Miss Ella down here on the right, right after for a very quick brief meeting. Um, and uh, uh, I hope we all have a blessed week this week. Um, so let's go to Lord in prayer and dismissal. Dear gracious Lord, our Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much to allow us to come here and corporately worship you, Lord. We thank you for each and every family represented here, and thank you for bringing so many people back. Um, we just want you to put a special blessing on the kids' camps and the youth camps that you allow us to go to every year, Lord, and just uh, thank you so much for the support you give us. We thank you so much for the blessings you give us each and every week and ask you to bless us throughout this week. We ask you to forgive us our sins as we fail you each and every day, Lord, but uh, through Jesus Christ we can continue to have that relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.